This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Discovery that Daniel Norris has cancer, and the Tigers knew that when they traded for him last uh, July. To all of the changes at 105.1, Drew Lane out, Mark Fellhauer out. I'm sure I'm missing about 17 other stories that, that we could discuss today, uh, but we'll start with the Lions, the one in five Detroit Lions, and a story that. I posted on the DSR earlier this afternoon that I learned of last night. We know that Martha Ford is now running the Detroit Lions, that Bill Ford is pretty much out. We reported that a couple weeks ago. Not that it was any brilliant, you know, exclusive. Bill Ford went on WJR Radio, but two weeks ago and said that I have nothing to do with the Lions anymore. But we, you know, did some more research and found out other information regarding the fracture it seems between Bill Ford Jr., his mom, and his three sisters. Today I wrote on the DSR an article about Martha Ford making the decision that the Lions were going to wear the honorary patch for William Clay Ford Sr., her late husband, again this season. What was your reaction to that and Basically, Martha Ford, Tom Luan Jr., telling the league that, well, basically, we don't care that it's against the rules. 
We're not going to pay the fine. We're just going to accept this and wear this patch for the next five years. And not just that, but they're not going to be able to change anything on that uniform for five years because this 90-year-old woman wanted to honor her late husband, who destroyed this franchise, mind you, for the last 51 years. Uh, I know this is not exactly anything on the field, Justin, but is this just a microcosm of the nonsense family business lunacy that the Lions are going through right now? Well, I think what it gives you is a perfect snapshot of how this organization is run. It is run like a neighborhood bingo hall. This is not, you're looking at a billion dollar, multi billion dollar company, multi billion dollar empire here that is running this operation. And you have a, and not, and not to be an ageist or certainly not a sexist, but it is a 90 year old woman. Uh, my dad is 65, pretty sharp guy. He's talking about retirement right now, and he knows his business pretty well. Uh, you can't have a 90-year-old person who knows nothing about the business running such a large-scale operation. And this idea of having this patch on the jersey, for the first year, as you mentioned in the article, no problem with it. Now, obviously, we have our own problems with the Ford family. We are not fans of their ownership group. and Not and fans of their work. It, to, to say the least, to say the least. But, you know, understanding just objectively it makes objective sense to have that patch on there for the first subsequent season. You mentioned that as a common thing in sports. We see it all the time, whether it be a befallen player or owner or even the owner's wife in Robert Kraft's uh, situation. But to go five years into the future with this patch, it's, you know, what, what a terrible message to send to these poor fans that they have to look at these uniforms and it's this permanent reminder of these initials, these initials that terrorized this fan base for almost six decades. You know, I think I would rather be a Jew in the 1940s wearing the Jewish Star of David on my arm than have that patch on my jersey as a, as a player. I mean, what a sign of a terrible, losing franchise. It is a horrible symbol. One playoff win in the ownership period while he was alive. And we are now, it's an ugly patch. That's the other thing. I mean, it's not even, it's not even appealing aesthetically. It's just ugly. And we felt we had to deal with it for one year. Now, a couple of people tweeted to me and posted on Facebook saying, well, the Bears have honored George Hallis on their jersey for I don't know how many years. But that's a completely different situation. That is on the sleeve, his initials. It's really not right out in front, you know, on the front of the jersey. And you're also talking about the patriarch of the NFL, a man who was was a successful owner. Um, it's a little different situation. And forget everything else. What we found out was this is a priority to Martha Ford to continue to honor her late husband in this way. And it, it's just it, it's just a joke. And for Tom Luan Jr., the president of the team, to not step up and say to her, "Look, you know." We're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna do this, or just pay the million dollar fine. Because can you imagine the short sightedness of keeping that jersey for five years? Well, you know, and I, I think at what point do you cross the line from we're honoring this person to this is now this person has become part of our literal logo and our identity and our presentation from a physical vantage point? I mean, could you imagine if the Detroit Red Wings believe Sergei Manatsikhanov, Vladimir Konstantinov patch was worn in 2004, 2005 after right. you know, it, it would have been ridiculous. It doesn't mean that those 
figures are not always going to be remembered in Detroit Red Wings history, but now you're going from we're not honoring this person. This person's initials are part of our presentation, almost not necessarily a logo, but this is their official jersey now. Are we going to honor him in perpetuity? It doesn't really make sense. Sounds from what I was told, and I did not get a call back from the league. I called the NFL league offices and got the department that handles this type of stuff. Uh, as of, what, 5.08 p.m. after business hours in New York City, I didn't get a call back to find out. They're probably calling the line and say, uh-oh, someone figured out what happened here. And I'm not exactly sure why the beat writers and nobody else ever really looked into this because they all were like, I remember the first, I think it was the first exhibition game, I think they were like, I think Katzenstein and Mankey and all those guys were like, oh, wait a second here. The patch is still on. They all tweeted it out. Like, they were surprised. I'm surprised none of them, maybe they just got stonewalled um, on, on, on you know, asking the question. This leads to another larger point. Obviously, and, and I reported this a couple weeks ago when I, we first broke the story about um, the, dynamic, the, the dynamic change in the organization where Martha told Bill, basically, from what Mar sources uh, told us, that, look, you have got a, an important job at Ford Motor Company. You need to concentrate on that. Two of your three sisters really have nothing going at all, and we're going to run the Detroit Lions. I mean, it, it's almost, like, so absurd that there's not an outrage. It's like people may just resign, but I, I don't understand how there's no follow-up from anyone, you know, don't you? Th- if this was New York or Philadelphia or Boston, don't you think some columnists would be like, are, "Are they afraid of the ages thing? Are they? It's not an age thing. It's not a woman thing. It's a fact that this woman was married to Ford from 1963 when when he bought the team for all of those years, 51 years. We never heard boo from her. I talked to someone who worked for the Lions in the early 2000s. They said they never saw her in the building. This is someone who was working right down the hall from Matt Millen, by the way, within a couple offices, the person I spoke to. They never saw her. Her only contribution to this franchise in all of those years was telling her husband that they couldn't have cheerleaders because she was afraid there'd be hanky-panky. That was her contribution. Now she's on the field introducing her friend with an oxygen tank to Barry Sanders, by the way, a person that your husband sued Uh, when he retired because he couldn't take your husband's losing ways anymore. It's such a farce. If you wrote an HBO show about an NFL franchise and wanted to make it a comedy, I'm not even sure you'd go this far. Well, to answer your first question, as far as how the New York market or Philadelphia market would handle it from a media perspective, there's no question that this would be brought up, I think, ad nauseum. I think this would be a, a primary focus week in and week out until that status quo was changed. And, you know, you say it's not ageism, but to some extent it is. I mean, I think there's very few 90-year-old people that can handle the type of operation that this woman is seems to be undertaking. And it, it, With her know, two daughters who we know not, nothing about. Right, and, but let's not be afraid to say it. You know, I, not to go Donald Trump here, but, you know, let's not be so politically correct that we can't say No, not, we that, can say it. I'm saying, that, is, that, is that the but, reason the mainstream well, media is not, I, I is think, not attacking the situation and making fun of this woman wearing sunglasses inside a building yesterday? Like, what, does she have cataracts? So what, what, what's that all about? Well, I think that's a large, uh, you know, a large part of it, certainly. I think there's been a, a hesitation to question the status quo with the Lions, no matter what it's been throughout the years. Now, I, I, in my discussion with Greg Henson, 
uh, when I interviewed him a few years ago for an article where I was urging him to come back to Detroit. Maybe we'll get to that later. But Greg told me the Lions organization is the worst for stonewalling reporters that rock the boat, that question the team. Uh, he gave me a few names of, of journalists that had stories that I can't say on the record, but one that I could say was they've given Drew Sharp a really hard time down there. Now, we don't love Drew Sharp, but it's been established. It's the only thing Drew Sharp's right about is the Lions. Right. I, I, Drew Sharp's been on top of the Lions' futility for, for many, many years, certainly my entire experience following him. But I think there's a large part of fear there, and I think there is the element of political correctness where there's people are afraid to say, this is a 90-year-old. I don't, the woman thing doesn't even bother me. It's more the age. A 90-year-old person running this type of an operation with no qualifications. And typically, it's not that every owner is qualified to run a sports franchise, but they are smart enough in their own business that they can employ people who are. There's no reason to have faith in this woman that she knows what she's doing. And people, when Joe Paterno's uh, fall, downfall occurred at Penn State, a lot of the excuses from those sycophants in Happy Valley were, well, come on. I mean, he's 84 years old. How is he supposed to know what's going on? And that's not an excuse. If you're in that position, you have to do the job. And if you're not capable of doing your job, it is your responsibility to vacate it, in her case, either sell it or delegate authority to her much more qualified son. So here's the good news. And this is based on a couple sources that I've been talking to over the last few weeks. Some of this goes back uh, over a year, actually, but I've never been more confident than uh, today to report this or broadcast it on this podcast that the sisters, uh, Martha Ford's daughters, Bill Ford's sisters, want to sell the team. They don't want the team once Martha Ford passes away. I've been led to believe that there's already been feelers put out um, to some people with great amounts of wealth, let's put it that way, in this town, that the Lions are available for around $1.2 billion. Now, like I said before, Bill Ford, what I've been told, has been cut out. Is there a, is there a way that Bill Ford Jr. can organize some sort of syndicate of people who could buy the team from his sisters and his mom, I don't know. From what I've told, been told, Bill Ford Jr. doesn't have that kind of cash to own the Lions by himself. So if there's any glimmer of hope, it is that there's been constant talk that the sisters want out. They want to cash out. They don't want to own this team. And... That would be probably, other than a championship in this town, maybe the biggest celebration in Detroit sports history if the Ford family sold the Lions. I I could see a parade, Justin. I I think it would be the biggest non-championship celebration in the city. There's no question. And and honestly, uh, it may even surpass... A couple of the a Red Pistons, Wings. maybe, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and the thing is, the, the Lions don't even need uh, the best owner in sports to come in. They don't need uh, a football Mark Cuban to come in. Uh, if you got a a C, a C plus ownership group in here, or owner, singular owner, that's a significant upgrade. What the the terror that we have been exposed to, it's I would say my entire lifetime, but I'm 28 years old. My dad's in his mid-60s. He hasn't seen a winner. You know, this is uh, my, right. my dad 
is openly afraid that he's going to die, having never seen this team do anything. So, you know, this is, this is I agree, a, a major, major news story in Detroit, and we have to face facts. Whether this happens next year or a little bit farther down the road, this is coming down the pipe. This woman is pushing 91 now. She's not going to live forever. And when that uh, lady passes, if this is not already put in the motion before, it will be forced to when she passes. And then the kids do not agree. Junior does not agree with the sisters on what to do with the team. They're going to have to sell as far as their, uh, from my understanding of what their uh, estate plan is. So, right. Well, I mean, this is coming down the pipe. It had been the hope for years that of mine that this is the scenario that would occur once uh, Ford Sr. and Martha Ford are gone. Uh, I got worried over the summer. The NFL kind of changed some rules or where you could put it in a trust almost so that you wouldn't get hit with the big tax. But if the sisters want to cash out, and they've already seems to seem to have um, 86th Bill Jr. out of the organization, uh, it seems like this is fait complete that this is going to happen, that the Lions are going to have a new ownership. And Drew Sharp and uh, these people who for years and years and years have said, don't hope, you know, don't root for this. It's never going to happen. The Fords are never going to sell this organization because it's too tied in with the city, too tied in with the motor company, the, the plant workers, blah, blah, blah. None of us, and nobody in the media, nobody blogging, nobody speculating, really knows anything that's going on in the mind of those three sisters. And it seems like those three sisters are the key to the future of the Detroit Lions. And from what everything I've been told, they want out, and there's going to be a new ownership group. Now, people will automatically speculate about Dan Gilbert. I mean, there's not a lot of people who can buy a billion-dollar franchise in this in the world i mean they're just not that you you have to be worth probably a few billion just to buy a team by yourself for a billion um i'm guessing i mean i'm if you just figure the math i don't think anyone wants to put all of their net worth in a in a, in a professional football team uh, gilbert will be obviously uh heavily speculated uh people like the owner of the um Los Angeles Clippers, who has some Michigan ties, Steve Ballmer, who has more money than God, will probably also be in the mix. I'm guessing the name. There'll be no shortage of bidders no, for an NFL for an, team. And there's only 32 of them. A charter, you know, team like that. And, and it would almost and, and taking over the Lions from the Ford family. It's almost like a Theo Epstein kind of situation where what can you can't do any worse, and all you can be looked upon as a savior, like he was with the Red Sox and won a World Series, and now has the Cubs in the playoffs, and might be you know win a World Series on two teams that went you know a century without winning. Uh, buying the Lions, if you can do it, basically you're going to be looked you you're literally going to be looked at as the Jesus Christ of professional franchises that you're the savior. Walking in, you can't do any worse. And all you can do is go up. The name that, that to me, is interesting uh, is Tom Gores. Now, I will admittedly state that I was wrong about Tom Gores. When he bought the Pistons, he bought them for a song. I mean, it's, an, it's a joke how ripped off Karen Davidson got by Tom Gores. He got the Pistons, the Palace, Meadowbrook, DTE. For what a few hundred million dollars, it's unbelievable how he ripped off Karen Davidson because she was so desperate to sell. I think that that package probably now is worth double at least uh, what he paid for it. And I thought he was going to flip it. 
Uh, people I, think, were, I think everyone did. People were putting fair. into my ear, I think, who had, um, let's say, ulterior motives that he was going to flip it. He has not only not sold the team, there's, there's no indication that he is going to do anything like that, and he's basically doubled down on his ownership by bringing in one of probably the top three or four sports agents in the entire world, in Arne Tellum, to basically run the sports and entertainment for Platinum Equity. This is not some minor guy who gave up his practice to assist in running the Pistons. This is a major, major player. And when it happened, my first thought is, what the, why? Why would Arn tell him give up that kind of practice? He, he had major, major names. And we could look it up on the internet. I mean, you would be shocked by what he's given up. To be not the owner of a team, but to help run a team. And I'm wondering if a guy who's worth, you know, over $3 billion in Tom Gores, who's already got the Pistons uh, in, in Detroit, if that's not a name to keep an eye on, if the Ford family sells that team. Well, you know, obviously on my end it's pure speculation, but I, I would bet— This is basically all speculation right, by me, too. Right, I mean, I have no inside sources just, about this. Right. Just, I mean, this is just conjecture. The stuff about Martha Ford and the sister—excuse me, the sisters wanting to get rid of the Lions— that is from sources. Uh, the stuff about the Gores and the Tellum, that to me, is it's all, that's all conjecture on my part. Right, and I, and I think it's important that we make that distinction just because we're transitioning from things that we have information on towards things that we are just speculating on. But I, I, I think the nature of Tom Gores' actions in the last few years, what he's done with Palace Sports and Entertainment, they're not the actions of a man with one foot out the door. And I think your perception that he was going to flip the team wasn't, uh, you weren't an outlier. I mean, I, I think that was the, the general perception. I know that's what I felt. And I think we were wrong. Now, is there a chance that he does flip it? Of course. You know, is he going to take the organization and the, the subsequent properties along with it to his grave? Probably not. But I think he is going to be here for the foreseeable future. And I think he would be foolish not to make a bid on the Lions should they become available. And he's certainly not foolish. He's a smart guy. Owning an NFL franchise, it's a good racket. It's the thing is, is he usually buys distressed properties. And that's, I mean, that's what he does. And he gets them at a song. That's well, what he got with the Pistons. If, if, if he purchases the Detroit Lions, he's going to be paying top dollar. And that's not exactly his MO either. I, and, and that's a fair point. But couldn't I argue that a successful Lions franchise would be significantly more valuable than the franchise now. Now, I know even the least successful NFL franchise has tremendous value because of the shared media contract. I understand that. But I think there is still an opportunity for whoever, whomever comes in here next to enhance the value. The Lions, whether we like it or not, are a real brand. I mean, they're just by nature of they've been around for so long. I mean, people care more about watching a Lions game than the Jaguars. Now, it's not the Cowboys, it's not the Patriots or Steelers, but I think the Lions are, are in that sort of middle of the pack. It's a decent brand. As bad as they've been, there's so much potential there. If this organization was run competently for that organization to increase in value, and I think Tom Gores would see that opportunity. And you can't rule out the simple fact that Tom Gores, like most billionaires, are egomaniacs. And I, I don't even say that as a bad thing, but Tom Gores is so egotistical that he thought he should have his brother's wife. 
You know, so, I mean, this is a guy that he sees an opportunity, perhaps, in the Detroit Lions to grab a failing brand in his home state and turn it around, both from a business perspective, and he can be the hero. If, if I told you, let's say, in 2012, that on, what, October 20th, 2015, you and I would be discussing Tom Gore's purchasing the Lions as sort, some sort of salvation, you probably would have smacked me in the head. Like, No, no question. I mean, he, the, the, the Pistons, I lo- it hasn't shown up on the court, hasn't shown up in the standings yet, but hiring Stan Van Gundy is something pretty much universally praised. We like the, the um, direction of the team. Hopefully one day it, it will pay off that our hope with SVG – Von D. And you know, and if it doesn't, you're you're making the right moves. I right. Mean, sometimes the right move doesn't pay off, but they're doing the things that I would do that I think a smart person does. And sometimes things don't pan out, but they are make they they are well run. They they are running that intelligently and with purpose. Correct. So let's we've talked enough, I think, about the disaster that is now in the uh, management uh, offices currently, and our hope what's going to happen in the very near future. What about what happened on the field on Sunday? Uh, you have adopted my strategy and approach of rooting for this team to lose every game, to be embarrassed and humiliated because at this point, uh, why not? And uh, we were very disappointed. People rooting for the Lions to lose, very disappointed in, in John Fox on Sunday. Uh, what an absolute abomination where he did almost the impossible and got outcoached by comatose Caldwell. And, you know, there's there's a hundred different things you can point to in that game, but the thing that is really sort of sticking with me is the decision on third and four. Bears are somewhere around their own 30, late in the game, late in regulation. They decide to uh, run the ball just up the gut, basically try to drain a little more time off the clock or make the Lions burn one of their timeouts, which is what they did. So they end up punting, basically conceding the drive, and the Lions still have 220 with – I can't remember if it was one or two timeouts. Plus the two-minute warning. Plus, well, there's right. all the time in so the world. So you basically have three – yeah, it was two timeouts, two-minute warning, and, you know, just over two minutes, you have three stoppages of the clock to go, you know, 60 yards for a touchdown. So, you know, uh, I, 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 that was the play that really stuck in my craw. And these coaches, why would you concede a third and four? I, you know, throw a little dump pass to Martellus Bennett, anything but that. But John Fox was basically saying – we're going to make you use one of your timeouts and then give you the ball, and if our running back breaks one, so be it. Forte got you know busted at the line, and that was it. I, I think Fox cost them that game in a multitude of ways. That was the one that really bothered well, me. Caldwell, by deciding to kick a field goal down seven points with two minutes and 50 seconds left, was basically telling John Fox, you're going to run the ball three times. I know you're going to run the ball three times in a row. And we're going to get the ball back because you're an idiot. That's what Caldwell was basically doing. Because there's no other reasonable explanation in a game that had a, almost 70 points at that point, or whatever it was. Neither team could really stop the other at that point. That Jim Caldwell was going to give the ball back to the Bears when, what was it, fourth and four? What That they had to... to, to, to uh, to get the first yeah, down and keep that drive and, going on? Something fourth, like that? Fourth and four or fourth and five. Yeah, something, something like yeah, that. It was yeah. not long. It wasn't fourth and 18 or no, something. No. Um, the fourth it, down bot was in favor of going for it. Of course. <laughs> the, 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 you didn't need a computer to tell you that. I mean, to, when it happened in real time, 
I was so perplexed. I was saying, this is one of the top three or four worst Lions coaching decisions in my lifetime, which is saying something pretty grandiose by making that comment. Um, but that's how dumb it was. And that's the stuff that we, at the DSR, we had talked about, we had written about when they hired this man. This was his, this was his history of making awful, boneheaded in-game decisions that made Peyton Manning shake his head in playoff games. And, you know, everyone laughed at me last year when they went 11-6 and and lost a playoff game that they probably should have won because, oh, Caldwell's great, calming force. But you could see the seeds of his stupidity last year in games against um, Buffalo, the game in in England, in London. He's a moron. He does not know how to evaluate game situations pretty much the number one job of a head coach I would say he can't do it and it was so awful and we'd be talking about it for years if John Fox didn't run the ball up the gut three straight times and give him the ball right back I mean this was a defense they couldn't cover Jeffrey they couldn't I mean the whole second half they're just going right up and down the field they should have come out passing on first down. I mean, that game would have been over. You needed probably two first downs to guarantee yeah, I mean, it. I mean, I, I come out it's and a I, joke. I, I run on first or second down and pass on the other downs. The way that game was going, the Lions were doing an okay job stopping the run uh, with some exceptions. But they had a terrible time covering they Jeffrey. They couldn't cover the pass. Uh, they you know, it's, I, I think it was a, a significant mistake. And it, you, what you had was you had two bad teams with two – Dumb coaches head to head, and you and this it goes back to the same thing we talk about with baseball analytics, where you can look at a chart. We're going for it on fourth down, going back to Caldwell's decision. You have a seventy-four percent chance more likely of something good happening than bad. You know, and I'm not familiar with the analytics in football nearly as much as I am with baseball, and I would defer to you on that as well. But you have these clear-cut statistical models that say what to do in a certain situation, even if the intuition is obvious enough, which in this case it was. But even if you throw it out the door, and we have a guy that continually goes against the rational decision, both on paper and logistically, just off the top of your head, what you would think would be the right thing to do. I was baffled when Caldwell kicked the field goal. And I'll tell you, the crowd, even the slappiest of slap Lions fans, were booing the decision. Oh, really? uh, the fans were booing well, the, uh, well, you know, the kicker on the field. Prater was getting booed. This is a guy who last year went for on fourth down more than almost anyone, I think, maybe more than anyone in the NFL, Caldwell, last season. They yeah. get into a playoff game where you haven't won one since 1991. You were sitting in the stands down there in Dallas, and we're talking about a, a fourth and one to basically maybe seal this game and he punts, and on the third down, he doesn't have Golden Tate in the game. I mean, the most crucial decisions of the season last year, he fucked up. And you expect anything different? I mean, this, it, it, could you imagine going forward with this guy? I mean, hopefully he's gone after this season. I mean, hopefully something, lightning bolt strikes, you know, either the team's soul, whatever happens. But the, how, watching a game with him, coach... It's like watching someone try to disarm a bomb. I mean, he's a moron. He's horrible. And then they still should lose in overtime. The Bears get the ball, and Fox learns nothing. Two, three, and outs on their two. He learns absolutely nothing from that last drive, which should have cost him the game. Then he doesn't call timeout. The Lions are going to clearly either they're going to score a touchdown 
or it's game, the game's going to end. But the, nothing bad can happen by the Bears taking timeouts in those last two minutes to save some clock because the, the Lions going to win by more points if they score. I mean, the, yeah, time was not a factor. They're time scoring was not on, they're a scoring factor on for them, drive. for yeah. the Lions. They're either going to score right. or they're not. Right. The clock means nothing for them. It meant everything for the Bears. And this guy's sitting there waiting time. The only reason they called that one timeout is because it was forced by a freaking injury to one of their players, so they had to take the timeout by league rules. And then he goes into freaking overtime and runs the same forte plays, doesn't pass the ball. I thought for sure we were heading for a tie until that, uh, you know, Hail Mary basically where yep. Stafford got away because of a holding penalty they didn't call on, on, on an offensive lineman. And now we're sitting here one in five, and it's a perfect segue to talk about your girlfriend. Well, and <laughs> Kelly uh, yeah. B. Hall Stafford. And and certainly, uh, I, you know, I've said this on our message board uh, on Twitter multiple times. As frustrating as this franchise can be, from management down to the players, down even to the way Ford Field is run, and that's a whole other topic for a different day. I put Kelly Hall B. Stafford up there in my top two or three reasons why I find this franchise infuriating. And for the three people out there that don't know. That is the wife of quarterback Matthew Stafford. This is a woman who has continually, over the last several years, pretty much since Matt got here, it was his college girlfriend, attacked Lions fans, taunted Lions fans after victories in five win seasons, and has basically, in so many words, called them ungrateful, spoiled Lions fans. Now, that's not the term she used. That's a Dave Dombrowski line. But repeatedly, she has come after the Lions fans with – Typically passive-aggressive Instagram post. She'll have a, a – there was one a few years back when the Lions won a game to move to 3-8 and eight or 3-7, and seven, going after the fans, saying that the ones who stood by this team are going to be rewarded by what? Even if they won out, it was going to be a seven-win season. So I, I want to go to this latest one, which was, again, in the news. And this is Kelly, Kelly Hall Stafford's Instagram post. You forgot the B. Yeah, well, it'll get in there every other time. This is the Instagram post, for those that didn't see it already, after the Lions won a game against a team that some people a few weeks ago thought might go 0-16, the Chicago Bears, before they eked out two victories. She goes with a picture of her, of course, kissing Matt. It's pretty inspiring to watch someone go through what this man did in the past eight days, witnessing the true aspect of a team pick up their leader and brush him off, backing him every step of the way. He is truly blessed to play with the men and the friends on that field. Never once did his confidence flee. He knows who he is, what he's capable of. Blah, 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 blah. It's hard to rise when you feel like no one believes in you, but it's easier when your teammates are the ones that do. I am beyond grateful for those men and beyond grateful for a husband who never stops fighting. It's one game, but it was a big one. Time to go build on that. Okay. One pride. We, hashtag one pride hashtag thankful for the ones who wear blue and silver thankful for the ones who wear a big one Justin. a, a big one this is a team that was 0-5 in this game it has already been discussed that teams that were 0-4 in the history of the nfl only two have even qualified for the playoffs this team was 0-5 and barely barely beat a disgracefully bad chicago bears team at home in overtime only because John Fox, John Fox handed them no the only game. Reason. So even if I don't care if the Lions had won by 300 points, I don't care if they set the NFL record 
for yards differential. I don't care what happened in that game. There's no big game in this season. The last big game, I would argue, was in Seattle. And that, that was the last chance to salvage the season. Did I think the season was salvageable? No. But that was the last game that I would let somebody present the argument that, okay, this is a big game to try to preserve this season to some extent. Even if you're just restoring the pride of maybe we'll finally have two consecutive winning seasons for the first time in, what, 30 years that hasn't happened. You look at all the heat that Marvin Lewis and that Cincinnati Bengals franchise gets for being one and done in the playoffs every single year. Hey, they go 10-6, <laughs> and 11-5 every damn year. And that's, and that's a franchise that's been compared ownership-wise to the Annette Ford family, you know the Brown family down there, she's a bimbo. Okay, let's call it what 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 it is. She's a freaking cheerleader who met Matthew Stafford at Georgia, and embarrasses him. I mean, if this was my wife, I'd be divorced. If she, first of all, my wife doesn't defend me on on social media. If anything, she supports, she's on the other side. She supports yeah. the people who attack me. Yeah. I mean, she, that that that's basically her Emma. I mean, she, if anyone ever tweets to her. And says, you know, your your husband's an ass. She usually agrees. Yeah, which I have no problem with. At least she's honest. But this this woman who goes on social media bragging to people that she's the one who paid for her fake breasts. She 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 can't stop. She can't help herself. You know, Stafford has told her how many times do you think Stafford's told her. Don't do it. Don't, well, don't engage people. You have no... And it's the same thing with Golden Tate a few weeks ago. You have no idea, you 24-year-old bimbo, what Lions fans have gone through. Your dad for 60-plus years. Me for 43 years. You for getting close to 30 years. You have no... You have, you have no concept... You're like a child who has walked into a room. You just have you don't understand what we've gone through. We've watched players die on the field. We've seen players get killed by semis cutting their grass in the offseason. We've seen players paralyzed on the field. We've seen one playoff victory in 57 years. We've seen the best player yeah, in history not, quit on the eve yeah, of training we, camp. It and goes we, on and on. And, we're, and we've seen one of the top five wide receivers who your husband plays with now who's going to go his whole entire career with probably never winning a playoff game, never getting to a Super Bowl, wasting Calvin Johnson and Barry. We, you, you don't understand what we've gone through as fans of this team. And, of course, it's not all your husband's fault. I'm not one of the Bennett brothers. I'm not blaming him for JFK's assassination or the 1970s and 80s with Russ Thomas running this franchise. But have a modicum of understanding of why people boo of why people are upset. Instead, you flame you you flame on. You go on Twitter which you had to delete because you couldn't contain yourself. Now you're on Instagram. Just I, what is the point? Don't ever go on you've got a great life. You've got a good you've got a husband who makes a lot of money, a good-looking guy, I guess. A good he seems like a nice guy. I mean, I don't not exactly thrilled with what he does on the field all the time. Seems like a good guy. You've got a great life. Why are you going on Instagram and getting the fans irate? And here's, here's the thing that you have to consider. 
Uh, and it's Matt Stafford's role in this, or perhaps his lack of a role in this. Maybe he's in, not, is in, this is this a sign no. that he's not a leader? Tell her to shut up. Well, let's, shut let's, the fuck up. And let's be let's be clear here. We have a DSR contributor, Jasper Apollonia, who is very close friends with a journalist that covers this team. And it is well established, not by just him, I've heard it from people as well, I believe you have, that Matt Stafford, and you can just tell by observing him, he's kind of a shy, quiet guy. He doesn't, he doesn't dig the celebrity. He'll do the occasional ad spot. He doesn't want to be bothered out in public. He's really not, he's kind of a private guy. Remember on TMZ? And, when they were at the, I think LAX, the two LAX, of them. LAX on the years way to ago? their, it was going to their honeymoon. That was no, last I don't think year. it was. I think it was a few years ago. I think before they got married. No, no, there was no. another one. Well, we're There's thinking another of two one. different ones. There's another one. They were wearing their hats from the. There the was wedding. another one. I think a couple years ago, where basically he's like hiding from the TMZ cameras, and they're they're like at the check-in counter outside the airport. Okay, that's a different. One, like yeah. with the porters area, you know, over there, yeah. and she's like. Oh, hi, uh, you know, just bragging of who she is. I'm married to the quarter. And he's, like, hiding. He doesn't want any part of it. It's like, did you consider any of this when you married this woman? I mean, they they seem like absolute polar opposites. He doesn't want any of the attention. She wants all. Maybe that's why he likes it. Maybe he likes her taking all. It, it makes no sense. And it, it really, of the things that annoy me about this franchise, you're right. She's in the top five. I cannot stand her. And, you know, Jasper, I don't know if we want to say reported, but has said flat out uh, with, you know, second but very good secondhand knowledge of this situation that Matt Stafford has repeatedly asked her, I don't know if told her is the right way to put it, asked her, told her whatever to stop doing it. And it's, you know, I, I don't want to use the phrase he has no control over his wife. That's obviously misogynistic. That's not, I don't think anyone has control no, he, over their spouse. Yeah, but when but you're I in that position, it's a, it's a matter, Jeff, when you're in that matter, position, you need to have some control. It's a matter of respect and respect for your spouse. And your spouse is a public figure who are you, whom you are representing very poorly. You look at when the Valenian Foster Facebook page says, oh, Kelly Stafford, you know, Instagrams again, attacking the fans. You have ninety nine percent responses negative. People don't want to hear it. She know, and she knows it's going to go viral. She knows the minute that she posts something like she did yesterday, all the beat writers are going to mention it, and it's going to go everywhere. No, she gets off on it, you know. And I, I think where where is the respect uh, of Matt's request for this to be dropped? And it's obviously non-existent. And there's this is not this last two times ago was not the first one as far as the finding of the cleats text exchange. That's not the first one she's deleted. She said to delete a few in the past as well. This is at least the third time that I know of that it's happened. She gets really upset. She starts bombing the fans on Twitter previously, now on Instagram. And then she has to retract it. A lot of the ones are still up there on Instagram. I, you know, I, I, you want to talk about things this fan base doesn't want to hear. After all we have to go through, we have a first overall pick whom I don't even – hey, I, I'm on the side of – I actually – don't dislike Matt Stafford. I'm one of the few left. I'm not saying he's great. I don't. I, I think he's probably not the one. I don't think he'll ever put the work into Excel. But I think you could do a lot worse. I'm certainly not a Stafford hater. But the I'm bottom, not either. The bottom. Oh, I, mean, you, I mean, you I mean, and I were the, the two of the biggest supporters of Matt Stafford for a long time. And I think had he been in a different organization, he would probably fare better. I think you could say that about. Oh, there's no question anybody in my mind. That there's through no here. question in my mind. If he you went know. to another team. I think his talent's elite. I think you know, he. I, I, I think I, he would. You know, I'd like but, to see it. I would. I would die laughing. I would. You, of course, except for the part of of uh, Kelly Stafford uh, rubbing at our nose, Lions fans. And 
on Instagram. Oh, could you imagine how bad you that would be if you won a Super Bowl somewhere else? Dallas or something. Oh, God. won a Super Bowl? How insufferable. One more thing before we go to a break on this issue. If they broke up and got divorced... Any question in your mind that she just bombs them on Instagram? Oh, goes, there's no, there's no question. And, <laughs> if he ever cheated on her, oh my, that that that's probably the the the, the biggest um, repellent for him um, ever thinking about having a wandering eye because he knows there is no way if he cheated on her that she's not going at going oh, off. I, on I him. think Chris Benson would have had it easier with Anna Benson, <laughs> you know, uh, if he had cheated on her. You know, I, I, I there's no question. Oh, she she would be awful. She's made it abundantly clear that she is marrying him. I don't even know if it's. I don't think it's the money. I think the money's nice. I think it's the status. I mean, she has been bragging every single thing she says, posts, has some reference to going to the game, got my jersey, one prize. You know, we're in it for Detroit. The, who's and, the other one? Wardles? Uh, Adrian Waddle. Oh, Waddle? Yeah. yeah, Waddle, I'm sorry. Waddle's yeah. Uh, yeah, and I got, a, I got a picture of her. What, was her, uh, what did her jersey say? Uh, future Misses. With his uh, number. With his number, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This is, uh, she's basically Kelly Stafford, the less attractive version, but I guess when you she's, marry an <laughs> offensive lineman, you're not going to get the same. Uh, she's not bad. No, no, for, I'm not saying she's unattractive. For an offensive lineman, she's pretty no, good. No, no, I'm not saying she's on. She's a, she's a good-looking gal, uh, but, it, you know, she's, Ugh. you know, I think. Kelly Stafford probably has her beat, but you know, um, it's just this is what this is what it's we are. It's gotten to a point where you know DSR contributor Jim Petrowski pointed out that this has gotten so bad that the fiancés and and spouses of the players are attacking the fans unprovoked. You have one fan that burns a Stafford jersey. The others, it's it's mostly supportive of Stafford from what I've seen. It's been a very patient fan base. It's just this year it's starting to turn a little bit. Because they were teased with the with the playoff burn right, and everything. Right, right. And, you know, I, I think you're just better off it's, you know, laying low. Why, why are you taunting the fans during an 0-4 start the first time and now 1-5? This is not the time for this. All right, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the upheaval at 105.1. Uh, Drew Lane's most recent departure from Greater Media, and uh, I guess we can talk about Tigers and some other stuff, but uh, we will go to a break. We'll be back back in a couple minutes. This is a previously recorded episode. Back on the Detroit Sports Rag podcast, I'm Jeff Moss, at Jeff Moss DSR on Twitter. He is Justin Spiro at Darko State News. And some interesting sports radio news over the last uh, 48 hours, Justin. After two years and, what, uh, about three or four months, three months, from Detroit Sports 105.1 going on the air, basically being the new vehicle for Drew Lane, who had left 105.1 as Chuck and Dave took over that morning show, Greater Media basically built a radio station around Drew Lane, a sports station. And like I said, after, what, 27 months, they parted ways, realizing something that I said to them at the opening press conference that I attended. Obviously, the way to go after 97.1, the uh, number one sports talk station, if you want to call it sports in town, was to counter-program as a sports station. They built that station around a guy who didn't know much about sports, didn't want to talk about sports, would rather talk up, you know, to Mr. Skin or talk to Jonah Falcon and, and discuss his 14-inch member 
uh, that was that was the show. I mean, it was sports, you know, as a, you know, oh, we got nothing else to talk about. Let's talk about the Tigers. They parted ways yesterday. Um, and what is the future of 105.1 at this point? I have no clue. But I, I don't understand how radio executives could have gone into that thinking it was a good idea and how they thought anything was going to happen. But what did happen, the station having a .8 rating after 27 months. Well, you know, I think it's interesting what we're seeing, and I want to start really with what Tony Paul reported about the, if that's not too soon for you. No, go that, ahead. That Detroit 105.1 basically won the bid for the Detroit Tigers broadcast rights and through... And Red Wings. And Red Wings, yes, sorry. And Red Wings as well. Obviously a significant coup, and I think most of us attribute 97-1 success primarily to the Tigers. It's been a very relevant decade for Tigers baseball. For the most part, they've been a viable franchise. So I think the fact that 105-1 lost that bid, even though they probably should have won that bid, was a huge swing and a huge dagger to their future. And now that that bid has now gone by the wayside and has failed, you look at where were they two years ago and where are they now? This station, as you mentioned, was built around Drew Lane, which I think was a mistake. The guy put a Detroit Tigers hat on in his Twitter profile and thought that that meant he was having made the conversion to sports guy now. So I think this was a flawed model from the beginning. But now, what are they? Their program director, Jason Dixon, originally, uh, their original program director is gone and seems to be making passive-aggressive comments on Twitter about the failed direction. He was asked station. to be a guest on tonight's show. He passed. Oh, well, he's on a long list of people that fit into that category. But, you know, what are they? You know, two years ago, they're, the person who they built the station around is gone. Their program director has changed, and it's really and more... Th- and done nothing, Dave and, Shore. And, and, the, and the new one, Dave Shore, has done absolutely nothing. Really, he just gave us more of what wasn't working. Uh, you know, increasing Ryan Armani and Rico Beard's hours, uh, proven ratings failures in this town. Uh, you know, what are they? I, what is their what identity? Are, here, here's the question. And, okay, they had a good plan. Getting the Tigers is a game changer, obviously. They outbid uh, CBS Radio by $9 million. And we're told, according to Tony Paul's reporting, that they, they want, that they had it. And they thought that they had it. And they I thought mean, they, they were. It. They were told that. Yeah, I mean, that's what just, they told you. Just like Someone, Gardenhire thought he was coming to Detroit. Exactly. Someone leaked to the the to ninety seven one. Someone who was loyal, obviously, to that um, group, that they were outbid by nine million dollars. And from what I what, what Tony said, that I think someone from CBS local had to con- con- convince CBS national to to match that offer. Which is like, are you serious? Really? I, I don't care. How bad Rico and and Ryan are, or how awful Dairy Show is, or how bad the ratings are. If they would have got the Tigers, that evens the playing field right there. Nobody thinks that Scott, the fake, you know, or excuse me, not fake, the real Scott, the virginal manatee Anderson, is some great radio talent. They're riding on the fact that they've got the Wings, the Lions, and the Red Wings. And that's, the, that's it. And yeah. if they could have delivered the Tigers I, I'm not I, I don't know if in two years we're not talking about 105.1 being the number one radio station in Detroit for sports talk I mean 
that that's how big that that entity is. And now that they've put basically all of their chips to the middle middle of the table and lost that, now their backup plan is to get rid of Drew Lane, who, as awful as that show was, as misogynistic, as borderline racist, uh, homophobic, all the reasons we hated that show, it was still the number one rated show on the station. And they've now replaced it with Matt Derry, who couldn't put a dent in Carson Anderson's ratings, for the time being anyway. I've been told by people close to Mike Valente that they went to 105.1 and said, here's how much it's going to cost for you to get Mike Valente. And 105.1 Greater Media said no, because they don't think Mike Valente is a game changer like Tigers and Red Wings coverage would be. They've made that decision. So where do they go? What do they? I mean, what do they do at this point? They've got they've got no hand left. Well, without the nuances uh, or knowing the nuances of their budget and and where one hundred five one Greater Media is sitting, I disagree in terms of Mike Flanny's impact. Simply in that you're not only adding him, but you're taking him away from your number one competitor. I'm not saying that it would be equitable or even close to acquiring the Detroit Red Wings and Detroit Tigers broadcast rights. That was a backbreaker to their future. I, I might disagree. I think Mike Valeni has an ability to move the needle a little bit, especially when you're taking him directly away from your competitor. But what they are now and what I'm alluding to in my introduction on this topic is they're lacking an identity. We don't know what they are. But I mean, they were a bad thing before, but now what are they? They don't even have any identity. Now they're not even the, you know, the uh, sort of frat boy station. They, they're nothing. And you're not going to be successful unless you find some type of a niche. They certainly don't have broad appeal. So, you know, what has been my answer for years for this town is Greg Henson. And I know that's a controversial opinion. Certainly a lot of my Michigan State brethren resent me for having that, that standpoint and that perspective. But that's what I feel, and I think people are starting to forget we've been so inundated with the homerism in this town from the media, from the broadcast and print side of the media, that we forgot that there was an era led by Greg Henson's 1130 WDFN where they were making parody songs, bombing these teams on a weekly basis. They were consistently attacking the managers, the coaches, the general managers. Mocking the the competition. Mocking the competition openly. Uh, You know, Greg Henson is a flawed guy in a lot of ways. Flawed, I mean, professionally. I'm not speaking personally. Um, Always flawed professionally or personally. Well, I'm sure. Who is it? I mean, who isn't? But I'm just – I don't want anyone to think I'm commenting on him personally. But just I don't agree with everything, how he handles his business. But I think he was effective and I think he would be effective going forward. And if I'm 105.1, you have to have an identity. What what am I thinking I'm going to get when I go to 105.1? What are you going to tell someone when you say you have to tune into XYZ show – and Detroit Sports 105.1. There's no identity there. And I think somebody like Greg Henson, it doesn't have to be Greg Henson, but someone with a sense of purpose who's going to come in guns blazing, that's what that station needs. So here's their this – is, this is what their plan is, supposedly, and what they wanted from um, Drew and Mark. They wanted to add a third person into that booth, uh, someone who knew something about sports, I guess. And their two suggestions – I'm told, were Drew Sharp and Sean Belisian. 
I mean, can you imagine the di- – first of all, nobody wants to hear Drew Sharp. Drew Sharp is one of the most hated people in this town. Nobody wants to hear – not to mention he's got a speech impediment. That's great for radio. It's not something that anybody is looking for. But this guy from Los Angeles, Dave Shore, the program director, has no clue. He's an outsider. He doesn't know this market. I guess he knew Drew Sharp from you know seeing him on ESPN, uh, you know, tell, saying how Ohio State and the Big Ten stinks for all of these years, and how nobody from the Big Ten is ever going to win the uh, playoff until you know it happened last year. He sees that as the salvation. That's who is going to come and, and improve ratings. A person that people despise. And it's not like despise in a good way where they, oh, we love to hate you. People just hate to hate him. I mean, there's no love there. Nobody wants to hear him. And I I think it's interesting that these program directors repeatedly are ignoring the model that's right under under their nose. That is a continuous effort to trot out these retreads. Dairy goes to one station. And then, you know, Foster originally was a retread. The model for success is under your nose. You don't just hire a retread. Mike Valenti over a decade ago, was brought into this town as a young, bombastic, angry guy. They took a chance on him at 1270. I think probably mostly because he was cheap. I don't know if it was luck or if it was smart, but they took a chance on a new guy with a big personality. No, Why, why are you repeatedly marching out? These guys that we know are not successful, they're not going to move the ratings needle. 1051 needs to go in a direction of, of harsh analysis, they need to go for polarizing characters like Mike Valenti. People listen to Mike Valenti that hate him, but they listen to him. Yeah, people will list, hate listen to right. and this, Mike Valenti. And people, people are not going him. to hate listen to Drew Sharp. No, they don't care. They enough. just hate hate him, as you right. said. It's just, you know? He's just terrible. So I, this this constant, uh, you know, these these vanilla guys that are being rolled out there, and even ninety seven one, who you know by default is, is winning with their you know broadcast rights. Jamie Samuelson has a show still. Why? Because they were Jamie and Wojo are tied up because they didn't want greater media getting their hands on them. That's why. That's why they have the six to six forty five shift when the Red Wings or, or Tigers are playing at night because they didn't want greater media to get their hands on. Them. I don't think that. I don't think Wojo is any game changer either for one hundred five one. It's just it's it's so pathetic that they're the twenty third rated station in this town when people were begging for an alternative to 97.1. And if anything, it's, it, it's, it's worse. Drew, I'm guessing what they'll end up doing is, is putting Belegian with someone in the NPM afternoon drive. That's, that's what I'm guessing. I don't see what other move they have. They've already re-upped Derry, who, like I said, has been a complete failure ratings wise. Nobody's buying into his shtick. He first came on the air when he left ninety seven one and hosted that show. It's kind of like a straight, impartial. He was pretty good. Going to interview we were, a lot of people. We were complimentary. Bring in, yeah, being Brian yeah. Kenny in, bring in some good national guests. Kind of play it straight, and that didn't work. So now he's switched over to this a guy who today. You don't even know this probably, but started the show off with Drew Sharp by saying that he thinks the Lions still could make the playoffs. That was his take, his hot take. I mean, he's so desperate for anyone to listen that he will, at this point, pretty much, it seems, say anything to 
garner attention. And it's just, it's just there's no Ryan Romani and Rico Beard shouldn't be on a radio station in Saginaw. That's how bad that pairing is. Do you think, Re- do you someone- think Rico knows that Ryan Armani hates him because he's black? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. All, all I know is that it's been two years and three months. They don't want Valente, whose contract comes up in March, supposedly, from what I've been told. And they and, and they just lost the tie. Now, I, I was told by another, another source this afternoon uh, regarding the Lions that it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to go to either WJR or 105.1, that the Lions are going to be leaving uh, 97.1. And I was told mainly because they fucking hate Valente. So, but, but the Lions are on 16 times a year, and most people are watching on television. I mean, okay, so if you're in the car... You're gonna listen. I mean, other than baseball, that's not, sports only radio baseball is, is going yeah. to be the ba- dynamic right. that can shift that. Sixteen lion games a year on Sunday afternoons isn't go- isn't going to change anything. Yeah, a few more people will know about the station, but I don't think I don't think the problem with one hundred five one is that people don't know it exists. I think they know it's there, and they just don't want to hear it. Yeah, I mean, the, the product has been rejected uh, over the course of the last two-plus years, and they seem to be banging their head against the wall, doing the same thing over and over again. And well, they've done they've, their big change when Dave Shore came in from Los Angeles was to do crosstalk between shows and periscope that, and there was like 12 people tuning in. You're, you're an FM radio station. There should be like at least seven, eight hundred people on your periscope watching that, and they've got twelve. I'm eating breakfast with my cousin, and I'm getting ten times the people watching that on periscope. I had like two hundred and seventy-two people watch me get assaulted at a baseball game. Yeah, exactly. Live. And you know. Y- you know, and you're not exactly a huge name. And t- hell, either am I. I mean, I'm limited too. But that's how bad things are at this station. They. They can't get anyone to follow them on social media. They can't attract any audience. You know, look, and we've said it before, 25 to 54-year-old males aren't even tuning into Rico, Rod, and Derry. They were, Drew was, I think, fourth in that um, demographic. But, like you said, and I know Henson wants to come back. He wants to come back to Detroit. I don't think there's any guarantee that would work. Uh, I, because of the institutional um, and infrastructure advantages 97 has, because they were there first, they had the high ratings before, they've got the Tigers. No, they're, the, sure they're anyone, the incumbent. It's I'm not hard sure, to right. beat the incumbent. I'm not incumbent. sure anyone could come in and change things up but I'm guessing Henson, knowing the market, knowing that he'd have to come in in attack mode, he'd get some sort of attention. Um, just coming back and trying to maybe br- – I don't know what he would do. I really don't. I mean, I don't know who you'd hire. We know, we know it wouldn't be boring, though. I mean, no, it would be entertaining. You know, people would, would go listen after- to those first few shows and then – go from there but there there needs to be some type of shift in the momentum it's it's sort of like a pitcher 
uh, trying to hit a guy or a hockey player getting into a fight when they're down 3 nothing to spark the, the team somehow. There needs to be some type of seismic shift in their direction. Otherwise, what are we doing here? I mean, they're shifting around deck, no, you know, I mean, deck chairs yeah, in the no Titanic competition. at this there, point. laughing it up on Twitter with uh, you know people used to work at 97.1. I wonder how Derry's uh, vacation went, you know. Derry's? Yeah, Matt Derry, uh, you know, he's on vacation uh, every other week over there. Would you be taking all the vacation I wouldn't take one vacation is? day. As a matter of fact, I'd be yeah. coming in on Saturday and Sunday emptying the garbage can, can cans. Can you believe the amount of vacation? The guy's like Jim Rome. I mean, <laughs> every it's like twice a month the guy's on vacation. He's the laziest guy in town, you know. I no, mean, it, it's, it's unbelievable. The, the, the amount, the, you know, I wrote an article for the DSR about 105.1 expending extensive resources to send these guys, Derry, Tom Masway, and a couple members of the production team to the Super Bowl. And not only to the Super Bowl, they went to a Phoenix Suns regular season game against, you know, I don't know, the, the Mavericks or somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it had no, no Detroit ties. The suit, what value was added to the Detroit sports radio audience having them be actually physically in Arizona for their broadcast. Who cares? No, someone paid for it and they went. And it's and it's just they just have it was no a paid vacation for them and that's not every, a, a smart I, allocation of resources. When I went to that opening press conference and I was the only person asking questions basically of uh Dixon, Jason Dixon, the former program director, Andrew Lane, um, is to the point where we should probably play the audio at some point, but uh Drew asked if I was like if he was uh, it was a deposition because I just kept grilling him with questions. But everything I asked back in August of 2013 came to fruition. I said, are you going to have someone in, in, in you know, other than – because Fellhauer is like I think a failed stand-up comedian or something who just is kind of like a drooling um, groupie. And so he wasn't like a diehard sports fan. And Drew doesn't know a lot about – so I say, asked the question, are you going to have a third person – a third voice, like some sports geek who knows the stuff. So when someone calls up and asks who's, you know, what OPS is, they know someone in that room knows what that means. And, you know, they say, oh, no, no, and we don't need that. And what did we find out this week? The holdup between the contract negotiation, or, you know, at least one of them was they wanted to put a third person in that room, and Drew said no. They wanted Drew to talk more about sports. Because it's a sports station, and Drew said, "I'm not comfortable with that." Uh, that's what the, that's what they're telling. That's what they're saying publicly. That's what Drew's saying. That's what Greater Media is saying. I think there's probably more to it. I, I think probably they wanted to cut his salary. I, I still think there was money involved. They can say whatever they want. That's mutual and blah blah blah. And it was about the direction. You know, I, I still think that money had to play a part in it, some somewhat. But you know. <laughs> A neophyte, someone who's never had a radio job in my life, someone who's never programmed a station, asked that question and was told out of hand that that's that we're not going to do that. doesn't make any sense. I also said in that press conference, I said, are you going to go after 97.1? Are you going to attack Scott Anderson for uh, probably being a virgin at 44? Are you going to go after Valente for being a douchebag and, you know, ordering flaming tomahawks? And Drew's like, oh, no, no, you know, I don't believe in that. That's We're going to do our thing. They'll do their yeah. thing. You know, we'll pick on rape victims instead. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll pick on in, in gay football players. That's what we'll attack. But, you know, the playbook is there, and, he, you know, he, 
He's like, well, you know, I never did that. I just ignored Howard Stern, and, you know, we did our thing, he did his thing, and that worked out. Like, that was a completely different thing. I mean, that's a syndicated program. That wasn't someone broadcasting, you know, eight miles away or something in, in, a, in a local in a local studio. This was something that needed to be done. They had to take them on and attack them. That was the way they were going to get people to listen and be interested in it. So they said no to that. They weren't going to do that. And then I think the third thing was I said, you know, you realize no one's going to listen to Mike and Mike. And you might be stuck with them or whatever it is, but you're starting off the day already behind the eight ball because you've got a national show on. That you can listen to on Sirius if you have that and get a better signal or probably. The, yeah, the ESPN radio app is the, free if you yeah, have a smartphone. Exactly. You can get Mike and Mike on TV. You can Mike yep. and Mike anywhere, pretty much. Name a place you can't get Mike and Mike. So you're going to put that up against Stoney and McAllister, which is a terrible show in its own right and not a sports show. But you're, you're starting the day already behind the eight ball when you're already way behind anyway because they've got the Tigers and because they've been around in their number one rated station. And what has happened... Because they've ignored all of my advice, I, I not to uh, brag at all, but I mean, you can go listen on the website. I posted it today on Twitter. All those questions were asked. They ignored all of it. They went down this road, and it's been a perfect storm that they, they're 23rd in the market, and XYT is still number one. And, you know, you have to look at where is your competition vulnerable that morning slot for 97.1 was very vulnerable for a sports station to come in and produce an actual sports-based radio show. As you mentioned, Stony, Bill, Sarah, that's not a sports show. They talk about sports maybe 8% of the time. If that. <laughs> so I, mean, I, I hardly ever listen to it. And when I look up what they're covering on their podcast, it's usually just when we're doing another this week in Detroit sports topics. But that was where they were vulnerable in part. They, I, I don't think Carson Anderson is a good show necessarily either, but you had this big morning chunk that they could have grabbed, but we're going to be hardcore sports and we're going to be very sports-centric, and they could have beaten 97-1 to the punch on any sports topic going on because Stony, Bill, and Sarah are not going to talk about it. So they're going to have that first foot in the door every day in that morning show, starting off talking about a big piston signing or whatever it may be. They lost any chance to grab that momentum right out of the gate. It, it, it was just a, it was a flawed plan from day one. I'm being told by a source that uh, Fellhauer's never done stand-up comedy. I don't know where I got that, but he's never done stand-up comedy. Uh, he just, I guess, was just a lackey for, for uh, we'll, we'll issue that retraction. And the other thing. You know, you, here's, you know what the plan could have been, and I was speculating this might have been what they could have done to, to turn things around a little. They could have said to Drew, look, sports, they, 97.1 isn't talking sports in the morning anyway, right? They're talking... Man, man bags and pedicures and whatever else the hell Stony and or shaving Stony's back hair. I, I have no clue. They're not talking about sports. You could have it, maybe in the last six months said, "All right, Drew is not working in the afternoon. Put him in the morning. It's where he's been for his whole career, where he was number one for two decades, basically uh, in Detroit. Bring back Mike." Huge thing. We're reuniting Drew and Mike after, you know, two years and do that as a morning show. So now you've got a, a morning show which might do something. You're going to get some attention. And Drew's where he's comfortable. He doesn't have to talk about sports that much in the morning because people really don't want to wake up, get out of bed, and, and, and be grilled about Jim Leland's awful managerial decisions. They kind of want to 
ease into the day. No sports talk radio show in Detroit has ever done well rating-wise. I mean, you can go back to any of the shows at DFN or 12. Because people don't want diehard sports at 8 o'clock in the morning. They just really don't. So you could have had Drew and Mike on in the morning, told Valente's agent, yeah, we're, we're going to, uh, well, that number, that's fine. Whatever it is, I mean, what's the matter? I mean, they actually obviously have money. Tony's saying that they're, they operate greater media debt-free. They were making an offer, $9 million more for the Tigers and Wings than CBS Radio, the largest radio broadcasting company in the country. They got money. Give Valente what he wants. So now you got Drew and Mike in the morning. You got Valente maybe in Derry in the afternoon. And now there is some sort of competition. Maybe you do, but to do what they've done. And listen, if they if they think that Derry and Belgian can't be a show, they can't stand each other. I mean, we know that for a fact. Those yeah. two hate. Yeah. I mean, no respect. Um, you know, uh, at all. That's going to be a, probably the the least be two great. compatible people. As a matter in of fact, the city. if if Derry goes back to noon to three, and Belgian is on from 3 to 6 with, with Sharp or whoever, I'd love to watch that crosstalk. I might pay like $1.99 a month to watch that crosstalk between Derry and Belizean because, I mean, <laughs> Belizean has confronted Derry about how he's talked about him behind his back. So that that's a that's – a, that's, what is going to happen there? I mean, they don't like each other. And I'm going to point it out every two seconds if that's the if that is the combination of at all if they cross paths in any way whatsoever. But I mean, if you if you had the guess, we know they have the Pistons rights, but you know, they have an out in that contract, and that's you know the nature of contracts in general can be escaped. Where do you see them in a year? Can they continually put up? Here's what point I see. A, a, when when do they pull the plug? Here's what I see. I, I I think they've played. I think they played their hand. They lost the the, the Illich rights. I I think it's going to be. I think they got a maybe a year, and then I think they're going to pack it in. Yeah, um, you you almost have to. I well, mean, the, this is unless it's you been go after a, Henson and, and you. That's their last hail mary. I would think they. And I know, think there are people in that building who want Henson. But it's going to be a real tough battle because you know that rat, rat dairy is going to do everything possible to keep Greg Henson out of that building. Well, if, if you're letting Matt Dairy run your operations or influence him in any way, then you just He's got a powerful eat. agent, obviously. Oh. Why is Dairy still there? Why did they just sign him to a one-year contract? He's, the biggest, he's a bigger failure relatively than Rico and Rod. Well, Ma- Ryan, yeah. I'm sorry. Rico and Rod, those are both beer. Rico yeah. and Ryan. I why is Derry still there? Because his agent has juice, I think. That's, kind of, that's the uh, only, that's the only explanation that makes sense. But why do they do a lot of the things that they do? You know, I, I think a lot of the things they've done intuitively make little to no sense. But I think they're at a position now where they either take that seismic change in direction that I'm referring to with a Henson or someone similar who's going to shake things up, or you fold up tent because this is at this point they're you know they're clicking their heels they're wasting money this thing is not going to be a success it's been a proven failure and they're going in the wrong direction you're ridiculing them for days on end for a point nine the next month they come out with a point eight i mean this is they've gone down i mean they've gone down since since uh they're worse than when we were making fun of them but part of that i think is because i think the pistons give them a little slight bump um, yeah, I mean, in, I'm in sure the, some, somebody, and that, you know, and they probably will listen to it, maybe. They probably but. will go up a little because the Pistons are coming back, and they'll probably say, oh, yeah, look, we went up. 
but yeah. the internal numbers on the daytime shows, I think, are still going to stink. If anything, it's going to get worse. Uh, let's go transition a little to some Detroit Tigers yeah. baseball talk because there's so much positive to discuss about that franchise. Uh, one of the bright spots of the 2015 season, in my opinion, was the fact that they had added some youth <laughs> to to the uh, uh, farm system. They traded David Price for three players from Toronto, including uh, Daniel Norris, who's one of the top 15 prospects in all of baseball by all accounts. And Norris, I think he pitched decent uh, over the yeah, last couple yeah. months of the year. He got hurt, came back. He had some a real rocky start where he threw about five 500 pitches in the first inning that one game. But we find out yesterday on his Instagram account, which I guess is now the new way we find out news in the world is through Instagram, that he's got cancer. And not only does he have cancer, the Tigers knew he had cancer when they traded for him. And my position on this was there's a lot of prospects in baseball who don't have cancer. I understand it's not exactly, it's not lung cancer, it's not, you know, he's not going to hospice anytime soon. I'm just not sure why you would trade for a player when you've got probably a guy who's going to win the Cy Young Award in the American League this year, the, probably the most coveted chip, why you would trade for a player who has any health concerns or who has any question marks. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. Well, you know, I think we don't know what else was out there for them. So it, we're not dealing with the full the full hand here. We don't know what other prospect they might have acquired. Uh, the DSR's resident doctor did say that the type of cancer that Norris has is very treatable, very um, you know operable, and the prognosis is extremely good to the point where it's significantly less than one percent of people have any issue. So you know, I, I don't think I think you are more bothered by this than I am. Now, if there was some other top ten prospect that didn't have cancer that they passed on, then you know, okay, you well, got a point. Thing, okay? But this is, I think, this is one of the best prospects they could have gotten. They weren't going to get one of the Dodgers' big guys. And here's my point: if you knew that he had cancer when you traded for him, at least do me the service of not having your Twitter account ask for prayers when it's dis- when when you tell everyone else. Oh, why does that? Who cares? Because you're. <laughs> who cares? If it's no big deal, don't ask for prayers. If it's, if you knew that this guy had cancer when you traded for him on no, July 31st. You know, you're just putting too much stock in this. The prayer thing's a throwaway thing that people just say, and it's it's politically correct. And, you know, it's, I, you know, it's much ado about nothing. I, I think you're making too big of a, a deal. I'm not a doctor, but the people who are doctors and know about this say that it's, it's really not that big of a deal. He'll be fine. Obviously, cancer is always a big deal, but relatively speaking, you know, Jasper Apollonia said that he'd rather have this situation than someone that's had any history of arm trouble. And from my understanding, from people that know about this stuff, I think that's probably true. So, you know, the whole timing of the asking for prayers thing, obviously they decided organizationally that they weren't going to disclose this during the season, probably a distraction they did not want. And now that it has been disclosed, it is a canned response to just say, you know, prayers out to him. I, I think you're making too much. Everybody in the world was saying thoughts and prayers for the guy, but no big deal. Why is everyone in the world saying it? Well, it, again, it's just a canned thing that you say for cancer. I, I don't, you know, do, do everyone you think, knows you're not going to be okay, kneeling at your bed anytime soon. the Tigers, soon, when they but, traded their ace pitcher, gave up on a season? I mean, they gave up on a season that they probably could have made the playoffs on. And it was the right thing to do. I agree with it at the time. But they made a basically a decision 
that we're, can't, we're, we're giving up on this season for the future. To me, strategically, I think you come out when you make the trade and you say, look, we know we, this is the situation. He's got cancer. We know about it. Um, he's going to have surgery in the offseason. It's going to be no big deal, blah, blah, blah. You come out proactively instead of having him one day in, you know, October while I'm watching a baseball playoff game and I find out that the guy's got cancer. It's kind of a little unsettling, to say the least, to a fan of the team. I think, I think, that you, I think you get ahead of that. Instead of just letting him announce it, well, I mean, you know, I, I see your point from the fan perspective, from the organization's perspective, looking for what's out uh, in the player's best interest, which is frankly more important to them than what the fans think and probably should be. The guy was traded. He was in a nationally profiled trade, uh, the biggest trade at the deadline, I would argue. Already a big change in his life. Do you really want to throw the uh, cancer announcement out there to the public at the same time? Um, you know, again, I don't see the problem here. As a fan, would I have rather have known at the time? Absolutely. But as far as do I have any issue with how the Tigers handled this, I don't. Okay. Take do, you it any a, do, you, do you have an issue with the fact that they're now saying, oh, my God, the guy, this guy had, you know, cancer, and it was wearing him down, and, he, you know, it, I guess a thyroid um, condition causes you to tire easily. Yep. The fact that... Osmus in that game, he Osmus knew he had cancer. Osmus knew he had um, he had a uh, an issue, and he's letting him go out there and throw all those what forty some pitches. That's in the a first separate. Inning? That's a separate issue. Okay, I what's mean, your opinion of that? Well, I think that was a terrible decision by Osmus, and I don't think the I think the thyroid issue just you know uh, exacerbates how bad that was, and you know, but that was bad no matter whether he had cancer or not. Uh, certainly. It doesn't help. No, no, I, it's right. made worse. I, I said it exacerbates it. But uh, no, I, I think that was poorly handled. But as far as the Tigers' Twitter account asking for thoughts of prayers, that's just a can't thing. They're not going to just say Daniel Norris announces he has cancer. Go Tigers! I mean, you know, it's just <laughs> you're, you're, just, you're, you're just putting find, too much stock okay, into. I just this. find it just funny. Just, yeah. I just find it. That's funny fine. That's fine. That but it, you're saying that you knew about this beforehand. It's no big deal. I mean, that's what they're. That's what Avila is saying. That's what everyone's. You know, that's what they're. That's what the Tigers are telling you. The Tigers are telling you we knew he had cancer when we made the trade. It's no big deal. And then everyone in the world is going on, and they're and the Tigers are retweeting everyone wishing him. I just find it a little odd. That's all. It's oh, not, that's fine. And, I, and like I said know. on Twitter yesterday, I'm obviously a little more sensitive to thyroid cancer because I just lost my dog what three months ago mm-hmm. to thyroid cancer. Now I know it's not exactly, yeah. um, uh, you know, apples to apples. I could have done. We could have done surgery on on Chile, and the thyroid, you know, probably wouldn't have killed him. But because of all the other cancer in his body, the vet said not to do it. But I, I'm a little more sensitive. Well, and you know, that's understandable. That you're, you're right now, probably, yeah, but yeah. it just—it's like the season was such a disaster on so many levels that the one thing that we had basically to look forward to in 2015 was Fulmer and Norris, and now I don't know—it it just was kind of like a punch in the stomach because who knows how long how long he's going to be out if he's going to need what treatment he's going to need in the season that keeps him—we don't know—and we're really counting on him. We're really counting on Norris next year. He's a big part of this team. Yep. Because the pitching staff is so bad, and they've got to do so many things with the bullpen, and they've got to add you know at least two starters that we we were looking at him as locked in as basically as Verlander and um 
uh, Verlander and, and Sanchez. That okay, we we know this guy's going to give us some innings. He's going to be decent. We don't know how good he's going to be because he's young still. But now it's kind of a question mark. And I I don't know what about a week or two ago when they were talking to Avila about the pitching staff, he said something odd to me. Now that kind of makes a little more sense. He said we got to get two starters to go along with Sanchez and Verlander. Two starters. He specifically said two. And then the fifth starter will either be Norris, Fulmer, Boyd, someone of like in that group. And I'm thinking, wait a second, why is Norris even why is there even any consideration that Norris isn't that guy? We've seen what he can do. He's one of the top prospects in baseball. He should be as locked in as anybody, in my opinion. I, I no, guess again, I guess yeah. that was kind of a hint you're, that we ne- nobody took. Now that or again, you're just reading no, too I don't into think I'm it. Reading anything I, that. I, I, do you want to uh, promise? You know, Justin Verlander wasn't promised the rotation spot even in his full rookie season, even though everyone knew he was going to be in the 2006 rotation. If you remember Leland's comments, he was not a, a shoe in. According to the team, everyone knew he actually was a shoe in to be in the rotation. I, I think it could be as simple as that. They just don't want to promise. Well, do any we know that if Morris in. is going to be ready for this? Has they said that? Is he going to be ready for the season? Uh, I honestly haven't heard that. But yeah, I haven't heard. From my that. understanding is the surgery is relatively minor. He basically has the chlamydia of cancers. You don't want chlamydia; it sucks. But you take <laughs> a pill and it goes away. You know, it's not the I, end of I, the world. It sucks, I but I mean, it's very, very treatable. Uh, you know, again, we're not medical experts, but every medical opinion that we've had, including from our own DSR contributors, says this is the least big of a deal as cancer can be and that he's going to be just fine. I don't know if I'm even a little bit worried about his performance, how this will affect him. Maybe I should be. Maybe I'm being naive. But from my understanding, this is not like that I said. Big we didn't need medically. any more bad news. Well, no, that's true. That it, it, we don't. It we don't. We're watching the Kansas City Royals march to a World Series, yeah. basically, and yeah. we really didn't need anything else. Yeah, they're to go about wrong to, this they're year. About to be up three to one in that series too. Yeah, so exactly. I mean, and 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 and, and it just the it just adorable seems, Royals. It just seems like it never ends this season. That we, we had we you know we had a hundred seventy five million dollar payroll. We finished in last place. Um, we didn't. We thought Brad Osmus was going to get fired. That didn't happen. Um, it just seems like not, nothing, unless you consider Jacoby Jones's uh, performance in, in the Arizona Fall League, anything going well lately. It's just, it just, I don't know, just depressing. And we both love the Tigers. I mean, I, they're my number one team, and I think you're the Lions, maybe for you until recently. But yeah. I'm so desperate for for any positive news to try to put put this, the the uh, 2015 season to bed that so just didn't need anything like this and 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 really it's selfish we shouldn't even be probably talking about the ramifications for the 2016 season yeah we should but, be saying know, our thoughts should, and prayers we should probably be saying our thoughts and prayers we should be doing a lot Daniel of Norris. doing a lot of thinking and praying exactly so yeah. you yeah. know meditation but uh that that's that's my take i don't know if there's anything you want to talk about the uh off season what's going to occur uh well, I think we were I, going I, to have Tony Paul on today, but he was he was out of town, so maybe next week. But they asked someone asked him on Twitter yesterday. I don't know if you saw this, but they said, "Who are the two most realistic free agent starting pitchers that you think the Tigers are going to go after?" And did, I don't know if you saw his answer, but it was Granky and Fister. Well, I, I, I for some reason, you know, I hope I'm wrong. I just feel like they're going for. Jeff Samarja and, and then you know maybe Fister. I, I don't <sighs> think, which I wouldn't like. I don't see them getting one of the big guns, and I hope I'm well, wrong. Well, one of the big guns but, is Price. Oh, he's not coming. And he's not you know, coming. He's, no way. He can't. St- obviously, there's a problem with him. And, unless they make him some offer that 
20% well, more than anyone else. Always possible. You can never say no no chance, but, but pr- very It seems unlikely. like there's no way they're going to get price back. Yeah. Uh, Cespedes might have outpriced his – the market might be too much for him now because they've got so many other holes to fill. Yeah. That 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 seems like that might be a pipe dream at this point. He'll probably be overpaid, honestly. And every I mean, he's sing- good, but he's not as good. Oh, he's as definitely going to be overpaid. He's priced himself. He's out, definitely going to be overpaid. Yeah. And, and, and I don't here's even the- know if I want him at the number he'll get. No, that's, yeah. I almost agree with you on yeah. that. And the other problem is that everyone else, if forget if you if you're not talking about Price and Granky, everyone else has warts. Everyone, Samarge is coming off an awful year, where the area was over five. Um, Zimmerman has never pitched in the American League, and he's not exactly trending upwards over the last couple seasons. Well, yeah, he's thirty-one too. I mean, you know, yeah, right, or whatever he is. right. Fister's coming off a horrible year. You yeah. might be able to get him on the on, on the clearance. I'm table. all on the Fister train. He, he was one of. My, I'm on the Fister train. I, I loved him when he was here, and you're going to get him relatively cheap. So I, I okay, you know, that, plug him in. That's the, in fine, the five. but he's but he's no sure thing. No, and, no, and, he, and he's going to be. You know, he's probably going to sign for. Twenty five percent what we thought he would get what it was going to get two years ago, and then Johnny Cueto's the other guy, and we've seen what Cueto's done in Kansas City. No interest in giving Cueto the money that he'll command. So he, he, and he, and you're going to give him twenty five to twenty seven million dollars to see, and, and he was great in Game Five of the ALDS last night. He was terrible. He's been he's been not very good, even though some of his advanced stats say he's kind of been unlucky since getting to Kansas City. Other than Granky and Price, anyone else you get, you're going to be fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, and it, there's just no – it looked like it was such a great free agent class for starting pitchers over the summer, and now not so much. I mean, it's still good. It's, uh, it's yeah, because, deep. But, it's very but the, deep. The two guys that you want probably – one, the Dodgers are probably just going to write a blank check to Granky, I would think. I don't think They can't walking. compete with the Dodgers. And Price – Price to the Cubs seems inevitable. Price, yeah, price to Madden and the Cubs seems, you know, another I, uh, you know something that's going to definitely occur. So it just there's nothing. It just everything's depressing regarding the Titans. yeah. There's nothing really to be too excited what we, about. What are we but, supposed to hold our hat on at this point? You uh, know, who knows? Uh, there's always a possibility of a trade. Uh, again, they can come out of nowhere and come up with something. What what I've been told, uh, you know, and I'm sure you've heard some of the same things from the people you know. Is that they intend to spend this offseason and and not going to be at the uh, Dodger level? Obviously, they're not going to increase payroll by 120 million dollars, but they they're going to spend. It's just a matter of where those dollars are allocated. Uh, you know, again, I don't. The market's going to be interesting, but I do see them going for you know like a Zimmerman and a Fister. You know, bringing the two Nationals guys, something like that with the rotation. Um, I don't see. I thought we all thought Cespedes was coming back when we traded him, but again, as we've discussed. He's going to be paid more than I would pay him. I mean, he's he's not as good as he was this year. Uh, so you know, I again, I, I don't I don't feel great about it either. But I'm not going to stress about it. I'm going to enjoy the Red Wings uh, for a little bit and and enjoy rooting against the Lions. And I'll worry about the Tigers maybe sometime in February. All right, we're going to go to one more break and then we will come back and talk about what happened Saturday in Ann Arbor, which you were present for. Um, that should be interesting. Not that I really care about it too yeah, much. We'll do a few minutes. I, on I that think we, I think we probably disagree on a few things. So That's we'll take great. one last break. We'll come back with Michigan, Michigan State. This is a previously recorded episode. All right, we are back. Our last segment on the 
new and improved DSR podcast. So I hear the feedback has been good so far. Has it been? Oh, yeah. A couple of people said we're coming through really clear and you're interrupting me a lot less. It's great. I'm just tired. That's the only reason I'm interrupting you any less than I normally would. But yeah, Jeb Bush, very low energy. Thank you for, to uh, Jessica for producing the show she's much better looking than Mal- matthew milko so yeah well, that makes makes me feel confident <laughs> way, yeah, way better than a slap dick ohio state fan uh who's we we um been looking for a producer or someone to like you know run the show for what how many years 17 now yeah so yeah. this guy offers to do it for us and we take him up on it and it's like what January 14th or something and there's like two feet of snow that day and he says I'm doing spring cleaning I can't do it today yeah and there was the last like, minute yeah. yeah last minute like last like last that literally minute. makes no sense nobody spring cleans in winter you can't even open the windows to clean them no and, and, what's wrong with you it's a lie I heard he was actually going shopping for his Halloween costume too that day <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it just it, we've had we've had some troubles you and, can't uh, explain crazy so oh, there's that. When there's a lot of crazy in this circle, believe me, uh, on this side of the table. The, well, that alone. But the people, <laughs> the people that are in our, I mean, I, I would put our whack pack against just about uh, anyone but Stern. Anyone but Stern, yeah. perhaps. I mean, it's, there's some real characters and some seedy people. And we got to get Taylor you know, down here for a show. Yeah. Now that we're going to um, be like somewhere where we can actually have people, and it's not my office next to my master bedroom. Right. Where my wife doesn't want any of these freaks in the house. I can't blame her. No, including me probably on most nights. But this is a great setup. I mean, we have, like, all this room for people. If anyone wants to come and, like, watch the show, I think Chad McFarlane from the Facebook page wanted to uh, be a studio audience. But we can have people here, and, you know, it's a good location, kind of central. There's also a kegerator. Yeah, there's a kegerator over here. Yeah. There is. There's there's Jack Daniels. I had some the last time I was here when I was a guest on the – IT in the D show. Yeah, this is. I feel like I'm at the Roxbury. No, this is. I know it's really. And you got the got some nice decorations. Kiss Star Wars, uh, Slapshot. It's like a professional thing. We're not really used to it, but we need to take advantage of it in the future. Have some guests coming on. And it's good to it's good to be back. This is really our first podcast since I moved back to the state of Michigan, and I, I feel good to be home after that nine year um, program at John Marshall. Yeah, it, it was a good uh, good seventeen eighteen year law degree I, I was pursuing, and uh, no, it's good to be back. Uh, Can I ask uh, you a question? Yeah, I, I saw a picture from your condo out the, in, in, in Chicago. Yeah, okay. into downtown Chicago. Yeah, okay. You've lived there for pretty much, what, four years now? Four years, yeah. Four years. I'm out of there now, yeah. Uh, how the fuck do you move back to this area after living? I mean, in in the probably one of the, what, top three or four places to live in this country? Yeah. I, I would say. May, and it might even be higher, because I wouldn't even want to live in New York. Um, just, uh, you know, it's... Uh, <sighs> There's pros and cons. You know, there's the, the little things like running up to the grocery store uh, are so much simpler now. You know, right. I have a lot more space in a house. I can actually get a big dog and not like the two little rats that I have running around now. Uh, there's a lot of drawbacks to living in the city. Uh, you know, but for four years, it was it was a terrific experience. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm a Michigan guy, and this just feels like home to me, and I think it always will. But that was a good experience, and it was nice to see – two Stanley Cups when I was there and uh, the Cubs turned around in my last season uh, in Chicago as well. Yeah, I, I, w- I would have killed my... I would have jumped off the, your building if I had to deal with the Chicago Blackhawks winning 
two cups while I was right. No, I Chicago. loved it. I loved that's, it. That's I don't understand that. Hey, to me, that's a one-sided rivalry. I, they hate us. I don't see why we would hate them. I, it's not that I hate them. It's just the fact that I just don't want to be. I, I wouldn't want to be in Vancouver if they won. I wouldn't want to be in. Oh, it was so it was so fun both years. I was happy to I be there. Don't but get it. I want to talk a little bit about Michigan State while we're wrapping up. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, there's really nothing I can say that if you listen to ninety-seven-one in the last two days that hasn't already been said. I think Mike Valenti was coming in a little strong. I think he's throwing his uh, chest out a little bit, uh, and that's a big chest that he puts out as well. Uh, But I I agree with his general point. I think there's been too much emphasis from the Michigan side about the luck of the play. Uh, I think there was luck involved from the Michigan State perspective. However, what created that luck? Multiple things. The bad snap potentially contributed to the bad punt formation that's arguable but i think it was a bad punt formation a bad snap a bad handling of a catchable we're going to disagree here and then and then a decision okay so you're telling me that here's my performance of the michigan football team on that play had nothing to do with it It was just let me tell you what bad can i can i can i I finish can i finish can i can i say anything on this subject uh, i what was i speaking 24 seconds i don't think i've been hogging the mic two minutes let me finish my point there were multiple performance issues on that play with the Michigan football team. I'll tell you what luck is, or bad luck in this case. Lightning striking the punter right before he punts the ball, or the referee calls something that isn't even in the book and they uphold it, and it's totally out of the player's hands. Was there a lucky bounce, if you will, for Michigan State? Yes, It was but a Mich- miracle. 99.8% chance that Michigan wins. Not only that, I had switched off the game. That's how little thought I had to any chance of Michigan State winning that game. I turned on the Red Wings-Canadians game before, in the, before that punt, and I said, oh, crap, I forgot about the last play. I flipped it back on. When I flipped it back on, Michigan State was running in the end zone, and Will McDonough's son was shrieking like a little girl. And I didn't even know what had happened. Okay, I'm not taking anything away from. Okay, I'm not saying Michigan fans should say anything about you know that you didn't deserve it. But this whole thing about the yardage or anything else, I just think Michigan fans should be happy that they were they basically had won the game up until that. You know, everyone thought they had. Did you think there was any chance that Michigan State was winning that game at that point? You come on, honestly. Gun to your head. Any chance Michigan State's winning that uh, game? If I didn't think there was any chance, I would have left, and I didn't leave. But, no, of course, I thought there, there was no, the slimmest. No, of, no slimmest of on. slim. Slimmest of slim. But let me tell you, well, I'm not saying it wasn't miraculous. These issues aren't mutually exclusive. What allowed for that miracle to happen? Multiple errors that Michigan football players made. I think it was a bad formation which put undue pressure on the punter. The snap was bad. The handling of the snap was bad, and the decision of what to do after the poor handling of the snap was bad. He should have fallen Mi- on it. Michigan that's four screwed things. Up. That's four things that Michigan happened. Michigan screwed in, up. In I'm not going to deny right. that. So I mean, it, I would have had two punters out there. I would have, or I would have had someone who I would have had a wide receiver punting the ball. Anything would have been better. No one's. But, the argument, the, these Michigan fans that, that say we didn't uh, or you didn't win, we lost. That's fine. Okay, we were better at not blowing the game. That's fine. I mean, I don't. All care. I'm saying. I don't think Michigan State Mike Valente shouldn't be out there saying anything about it. He should be he should be like someone who got away with a capital crime like OJ Simpson and just keep your mouth shut and not go rob and steal for your nostalgia a few years later and give someone any chance to put you back in jail, which you should have been in the first place. You should just be real quiet, hope you go on to beat Ohio State, not really say anything about that game. Just be very, very, very um what's the word I'm looking for? Um 
Grateful. Grateful. <laughs> grateful that you I mean, won the game. Not say anything, not not taunt Michigan fans at all. And Michigan fans should be happy that a game that they probably thought they were going to lose by two touchdowns about six weeks ago, that they had won, and, and you know, go from there. It's just, as someone who's not a big fan of either team, doesn't really care, a slight Michigan bias, I will admit to that. The one thing I wanted more than anything coming out of that game was closure for this season. I just would want, you know, Michigan wins that game, that, that they get the punt off, Michigan State loses. We don't have, now we're, I'm going to have to hear about this freaking game for the rest of my life. I don't want to hear about it. Oh, I, 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 well, obviously, you went to Michigan State and you love Lansing more than life itself. So obviously, yep. you're in a different category than me. But for the people who didn't go to either school and really don't give a crap about the rivalry that much, all I wanted was after that week to be over to not hear about that game for at least, at least 10 months. Could you have given me that? No. We have to have a game, which I think USA Today, in their list of top 10 worst endings for a team ever, had this game, number one, number two being Bill Buckner and the Boston Red Sox oh, that's, losing that's the world. They, they, this, but this wasn't, this wasn't the, the Michigan Given Daily. The it wasn't yeah. the Michigan Daily. No, I know. This was the national. This was the USA Today or, C, or uh, SI. It was a horrible finish with you know, rankings or whatever. Rankings I, just wanted, I just wanted it to be but over, and now it's never going to be over. You, you, you talk about wanting Mike Valenti to stay down. Look at a snapshot of our own private Facebook group, the Darko Sports Rag, where no Michigan State – alum or current student and there are several there said anything about the about that play or about bragging about anything after that play went down and that game was finished the first six comments were spread out from three different michigan fans poo-pooing michigan state saying that jim harbaugh is going to win five of the next six worst case if not that's, all that, six. that's that person so, you say is the best so, poster and he is in the forum and he is and i stand by that but that was a weak moment for him and it's a weak spot from the point is there's this inkling for you and this urge for these Michigan fans to say, oh, Sparty, stay down, don't celebrate this win. There's been more trash talk from the Michigan side in this well, loss. I, I would criticize. And, I haven't seen it. But, but if I, but you saw I, it on no, our board. Oh, I mean, it was no, all over the place. I, I, and I would criticize that. Uh, totally but, unprovoked. But, but, no Spartan bragged about I'll, anything. I'll, we're going to end the show on this. Unprovoked. I'll give you a chance to rebut. I'll end this. Whatever you want to say about what BRC, Brian Colburn did, he put his money where his mouth was. It's not like he was just spouting off that he thought Michigan was going to win the next five of six. He made a $500 wager with Krieger uh, about it, right? Yeah, so it wasn't like he was just talking shit and with no ramifications. He's going to lose 500 bucks. No, but the point if, is, if, the, if point is the, initi- the point is, and he wasn't the only one talking, and there were people that didn't put any money on anything. But the point is the dialogue in our group, which I think was representative of this whole rivalry as a whole, I don't think we're an exception, is the Michigan fans went in right away with the defense mechanisms before we even said a word. Uh, I know there wasn't even one single comment from the Michigan State fan base in our group about it, and we were already being attacked, basically being attacked for winning. I, you know, And I understand it was a fortunate win in a lot of ways. There's no question that that was a lucky bounce, I think, that was allowed to occur 
from multiple breakdowns on the Michigan side of the ball. We've been on the other end of devastating plays like this in 07 where we fumble, the quarterback fumbles the ball on a sack, and then Mike Hart picks it up and runs for 25 yards on a first down that literally costs us You really us that can't game. compare it to that. Uh, but I, I, I've, I've seen a quarterback fumble the ball and then a running back run it for 25 yards about as often as I saw okay. what I on Saturday. I, I about, I've never seen an ending like that. Like I said, I had the hockey game on. I didn't even. I thought. I thought the game was over. I just wanted to end. Just stop talking about it. Michigan and Michigan State fans have a moratorium until at least. Uh, let's say July. Please, can we just do that? Can everyone agree just to shut the hell up? It'll it'll die down. You can't expect that in the first week in the aftermath of something like. Okay, that. that's our first show here in beautiful Ferndale at the uh, our new studio. Hopefully, they'll have us back. I know you offended a few people with the Holocaust. Uh, um, uh, I got my social liberal I think card. You were, I'm gonna, worse, we're in Ferndale. I'm gonna, for I'm gonna, we're in Ferndale. I'm going to go celebrate at one of the gay bars here, and you know, I love Ferndale. You did that before, yeah, yeah. I actually oh, met. Uh, yeah. I met. We uh, should end this before you say any. I mean, people don't. Some people probably listening don't understand how uh, friendly we are to the, the community. Oh, we're as, we're as left show. as we're as left as they come. So, all right. Well, hopefully, we will be back next Tuesday at five p.m. Uh, maybe some guests, maybe a studio audience. I don't know. Uh, I can't talk for two hours every week straight and just add a couple Coheed and Faith No More songs. No, we'll we bring Jasper we got to break here. it he up. can't shut up. So. So, all right. Well, thanks for listening to the first DSR podcast uh, on our new network. And uh, follow him dark, at Darko State News, me at Jeff Moss DSR. Oh, one last thing. Tomorrow, uh, the Metro Times article about me will be coming out. So look for that. Uh, hopefully it's a uh, complete. I, I'm 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 rooting for I'm rooting for the thing to just attack me. I, I'm pretty sure it's probably going to be somewhere in the middle, but I'm hoping it's just like an thank you for smoking when, when Katie Holmes sleeps with Aaron Eckhart and and gets the story and then just bombs him in the right. front page. I'm, of, I'm, yeah. I'm right, right, exactly. I'm hoping for a hatchet job, but we'll see. The Metro Times tomorrow, and I think either tomorrow or Thursday on the DSR, uh, the Bill Simonson article will be finally released. So thanks for listening. Thanks, Jessica. This is a previously recorded episode.